This is crime scene investigator Chris G leading you under the police tape and into a crime scene. Join me as we discuss the ever-changing world of forensic science. Put on your PPE, ready your fingerprint brushes and experience the drama of a crime scene. Hello everyone and welcome back to my podcast. It's been a while, hasn't it? I am very, very sorry. Uh, what's my excuse? Uh, well, the little daughter that I've got has uh, dropped her naps at the moment. She creates so much noise, which is kind of impossible to do podcasts, really. And uh, I've also had a spot of COVID as well, which hasn't been great. Um, I've been meaning to put out this podcast for a while, but where I've, uh, yeah, haven't been very well. It's just delayed things slightly. Uh, thankfully, I didn't get it too bad. It was almost like not as bad as flu, but just a little bit worse than a cold. And yeah, my, my heart goes out to those people that have got it, that have uh, really, really struggled with it. And it's crazy, isn't it? We just, we all react so differently to this virus. It's, um, yeah, it is absolutely mad. Uh, some people get it without symptoms and yeah, the worst happens to some other people. But yeah, I'm here, I'm uh, doing my, my podcast again, and yeah, again, sorry, it's been a little while. Thank you to everyone who's reached out and just encouraged me to, to carry on doing this. Uh, it's something that I have to pay for every month um, because of the podcast uh, site that I'm hosting with. So yeah, money's going out of my account every month. But I wanted to keep the podcast that I've already done available for, for you all to um, hopefully enjoy. Uh, so I've decided to switch out the format a little bit for my podcast now. Uh, what I'm going to be doing is, say, talking about my recent activities that I've, uh, I've been up to. Uh, any news that's uh, forensic related. I might talk about uh, closed cases that I've dealt with that um, I'll try and anomalize just so yeah there's no um, there's no contention there and uh, answer any of your questions. At the moment I haven't got any questions from you because this is my first podcast where I'll be doing it and I haven't really called for any questions on Twitter. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, my uh, handle is at CSI Chris G, that's G double E. And yeah, hit me with any questions that you've got, and I'll be sure to answer them in future episodes. So now we'll move on to uh, recent activities and what I've been up to at the moment. Welcome back. So at the moment, I've, uh, as I said, I've had COVID, so I'm very uh, grateful to my work for allowing me to work from home, and I was just able to sort of crack on with all the all the paperwork, all the reading that we've got to do. Uh, but I've had a few sort of interesting cases. Uh, my first case back from being ill was a cannabis factory, so that wasn't uh, that was an ideal. I ended up working about a 12-hour shift, uh, just surrounded by 200 odd plants. And when you're when you're not feeling that great, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe it helped a little bit because people do self-medicate with cannabis. Uh, but yeah, for me, it was just a long day. It was on my feet. It was in really poor conditions. You had zero lighting in there, zero ventilation. 
so yeah it was it was a bit of a struggle but cannabis factories uh, of course in the UK are illegal um, I know like in other countries you you can sort of grow it for your own personal use uh, this was obviously to supply um, and of course the dangers of cannabis when you're supplying it sort of not not medically when you're when you're doing it um, you know in these kind of setups the dangers are that you don't know what's going into the drugs that you're purchasing you don't know these say control measures that are being taken into place uh, obviously none of this stuff is getting assessed before it's going out they just want to put it out onto the streets make as much money as possible and I think a lot of people that take cannabis don't really think about where it's come from or, or how it's made so a lot of the times we'll refer to a person that's tending to the plants as a gardener and this gardener can be someone that say trafficked into this country that has had it that had their passport taken away and is kind of forced to work against their will and of course I think people that just get their cannabis you know their little bag of it don't really think about the the struggles that someone might have had to you know go ahead and and make the the product that you're now smoking and yeah, there's some really, really sad stories that come out of this, you know, um, people just set up these cannabis factories, absolutely wreck the home that they're sort of renting, they'll bypass electrics to, you know, like, not pay the full amount, and maybe they would have bypassed electrics so the neighbour's getting charged, which is really unfair to the neighbour. And of course it, it attracts unsavoury people to what could be a nice neighbourhood most of the time. So yeah, uh, it's really worth thinking about that. And of course as a forensic point of view, we want to try and identify who's been setting up these cannabis factories, as long as, as well as, sorry, who's tending to them. And maybe if we identify who's tending to them, it might not necessarily lead to a conviction because they might be a victim themselves. So we've always got to keep an open mind with that. And what we want to do is get these cannabis factories off the streets. So, yeah, there's there's little harm to the communities now. So my role would be to kind of go in and see if there's any forensic evidence that I can help place uh, someone at the, at the scene. Um, when I say the word place, what I mean is that I'm not going to go in there and place anything <laughs> to... Uh, you know, uh, wrongly convict anyone. I don't want to end up in a documentary on Netflix in 20 years time where, where I've done that. Um, hashtag making a murderer. <laughs> but um, what, I, what I'm looking to do is to see if any evidence is within this place um, that would help, say, identify someone that's that's using it. And that could be anything from, say, me developing fingerprints, me looking at any discarded items. I'm not going to go too far into it, just in case I've got, like, a crime lord listening to this podcast looking for tips with a notepad. But, yeah, it it can be, like, a really fun activity to do. You just walk into this room, every room's different, and you've just got to use your head and work out, right, what's going to be the best source of, say, DNA or fingerprints or or anything like that. Um, and, yeah, it just, it, it's really fascinating, it can be. And I work alongside a drugs expert witness, so they will kind of look at the 
the production that's being undertaken. They'll look at the the yield and say how much it's worth. So they'll they'll know kind of like how big say the plant is, how likely they are, or, or how much the profit that this this plant will make someone. Um, they'll look at the setup, link setups between one another, um, and kind of get an idea of of who's who's done it. And they are invaluable when I'm at a scene because it just takes the the onus off me to to do all those recordings of say plant yield and and everything, and I can just really focus on fingerprints and and DNA. So that's kind of what I'll I do at a cannabis factory. I hope that's inspired you to maybe want to become a crime scene investigator and tackle cannabis factories and not set up a cannabis factory yourself. I really wouldn't recommend it because what's going to happen is you're going to spend so much money setting it up and then the police are going to come along and seize it all. <laughs> and then it's just going to be a complete wasted exercise. So please don't set up a cannabis factory if, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, next, I'll move on to forensic news and, and what's making the news at the moment. So I'll touch upon the news that I'm familiar with at the moment that's keeping me busy. And that's the news of, say, accreditation, ISO, uh, and UCAS being involved in our accreditation. Uh, you might not know about this, or some of you might if you're, say, like university goers, but basically the whole country is undergoing accreditation where all our work has got to be assessed and validated, and that's an ongoing thing, so it's not just something where someone will come in and say, yep, your processes are good, you're fit to, to do your job. It will be like a, we'll have ongoing assessments, much like teachers, just to make sure that, you know, like your skills aren't slipping, you're still uh, delivering the same service as you were, say, a few years ago. And uh, that can only be a good thing, right? It does have its challenges, believe it or not. Um, our accreditation so all our procedures that we've got some of them are fantastic they give us a real kind of backbone to work from and they're invaluable for new staff that are coming in that say want to learn the job and want to know the best procedures but there are some parts to our procedures that are really tricky that we're really struggling with um, so for example we've got to do say a full write-up within our scene to make sure our notes are contemporaneous and that basically means that they're written at the time so there's no gaps in your memory there's no things that are forgotten or omitted uh, which makes sense i mean that is the best way to do your note taking and say if we were working under laboratory conditions that would be easily done because our environment is always going to be the same However, when you're at a crime scene, as you can imagine, the kind of crime scene that you get is going to change every single time. Even if I go into the same place again, the crime scene might be different. And we obviously have to do a risk assessment whenever we're going into a crime scene. So we have to look for any potential hazards or threats to our investigation and look at ways to kind of prevent those. And 
it can be as simple as it's pouring down with rain, like you might see in the television where everyone panics because, yeah, it's it's chucking it down. It might be that there's hazards, so say at this cannabis factory there might be electrical hazards. It might be completely pitch black. Um, so it's going to be really hard for me to do a full note-taking, say, on a laptop if I'm in the middle of the woods at 3am and it's pouring it down with rain and I've got no shelter. It's just not going to be possible. And I think what is kind of good about the procedures is that it tells us that we've got to do these things, but if we can't do them, then we've just got to note down the reasons why we can't do them. And that's kind of good because it shows the courtroom that we're aware of our procedures, but here's the reasons why we didn't do them. I don't think anyone is going to question question me if I haven't done my notes at the scene before I say get into my van and make my way to the office. If I'm if I am at a scene where it's three in the morning, it's chucking it down and, and I've got no shelter. No one's going to say, well, you should have risked your laptop to, to do those notes. You should have stood under an umbrella whilst, you know, you're getting attacked by the wildlife in the middle of the woods. Uh, no one's going to say that. But if you are able to demonstrate that you have this understanding of the procedures, but here's the reasons why, then, like I said, that can only be a good thing. And so our current stage of accreditation, we've been recommended for accreditation. We've got, say lots and lots of areas in which we need to work on but what we've been told is that if you work on these areas then get this all sorted and you'll be ready for accreditation and for our force this is massive because say Sussex and Surrey are one of about seven forces in the country that have been given the green light to do this which I think is fantastic and it's a credit to our, our department, say our, our competency and standards department, who have really been working tirelessly for the last say, well, several years, just working towards this and it's got to be like a, a huge pat on the back for them to, to hear this. So if you're listening, which I doubt, <laughs> they've probably got better things to do, but if you're listening, well done. Uh, yeah, you're doing a great job there. So that's the news that I've got for you at the moment. It was very focused on my department and everything that I'm going through, but also what all other forces are going through in the country. It's very relevant to them at the moment, and it's a big thing uh, to sort of discuss and, and talk about, especially if you are wanting to be a crime scene investigator and you apply for the role. I guarantee there's going to be a question about accreditation. Uh, so if you've got any examples of when you have to work towards, say, like policies and procedures and really kind of focus on them, maybe you've gone against a policy and procedure for a good reason and you've documented why and it hasn't brought your company into disrepute, then that's, that's always good. Um, and that's a, a very good example to bring to the table if you are going to um, apply for one of these roles. I think the last role that I saw was one um, at the City of London Police. We also had some for Sussex and Surrey, but I believe they've closed now. Um, but yeah, keep your eyes out for any jobs if you are interested. So this brings me to my case close section. So this is a part where I talk about a job that I've done previously 
where the case is now closed, it's now finished. So I'm sort of free to talk about it with, with some discretion. And it's going to be really, really boring, this, <laughs> this case. But it was my first ever court appearance for this role. And it led to, uh, yeah, a, um, a conviction, a fine against the chap. And uh, it was just really nice to say, see this case from start to finish. And I think I must have been about 22, maybe 23 years old um, when I went to court and gave evidence. So I was really young in my career now, but it really gave me that sense of, wow, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to you know, help society and, and everything. So basically what happened was uh, a a young girl had just got her like new car. Um, it was, I, I don't think she'll um, disagree with me by saying, it wasn't the best car in the world, like your first car isn't supposed to be because, you know, you, you're still learning. But it was her pride and joy. You know, she'd spent a lot of, of her money towards this car and um you know you, you you it's your it's your freedom that you, you know you've just got this new car and and all you want to do is spend time in it and go places that you haven't been before and one night um a chap has well we didn't know at the time a person has come up to her car pulled the door back um really damaged the the door the door frame um managed to un unlock the car go in and steal her stereo. So it was just that classic kind of, you know, break into a car, steal the stereo and, and off you go. And I think she had quite a nice stereo. Um, I remember back to my youth, I had quite a nice stereo because those things were important in cars then. Now you just long for a bit of peace and quiet. But um, yeah, so she'd obviously been out of pocket because she's gonna have to buy a new stereo. She's gonna have to get the door fixed. Maybe she uses this car as a commute, so she's going to have to pay for like public transport. So it really was a huge inconvenience for her. And if you haven't experienced crime before, then it kind of, I don't know, it, I feel like it affects people even more if, it, if it's your first crime that you've ever, you've ever gone through. Um, because, yeah, it's just, it's just that whole kind of ordeal that you're not familiar with that then you have to start thinking about and you have to replan your day and and everything um so i waddled along and uh with my fingerprint case and uh managed to get some fingerprints on the door that had been pulled back and those fingerprints i then took back to the office we i sent it through to the fingerprint bureau who looked over them and managed to identify um, a young male who was uh, quite local to the area and I think was known to do this sort of thing. Uh, so he's he's arrested. He says that, uh, no, I've, I've never done it. Um, it wasn't me, Gov, kind of thing. Uh, which then, you know, the, the officer can then lay the trump card and be like, well, your fingerprints were found in the car. What are they doing there? And so, long story short, because you've probably got better things to do than listen to this podcast all day, uh, it then went to court. He's then taken to court because CPS, our Crown Prosecution Service, have deemed that there's enough evidence there to, to warrant a trial. And it then goes to Magistrates Court. 
Now, if you're not familiar with the court systems, we've got uh, we've got coroner's court, which is just where inquests into say deaths go, um, and they can be say non-suspicious deaths that maybe there was there was something that could have been done to prevent that death, so it needs to be discussed. Uh, you've got magistrate's court, where you've got a magistrate, which also known as a judge but you don't have a jury there, so a magistrate will um, determine the outcome of the case. And then you've got, say, your Crown Court and then your High Court, um, but your Crown Court is where you, you get your jury, so the judge doesn't make a decision there necessarily. It will be the, the jury that makes that decision. Um, you can have non-jury trials at Crown Court. I've, I've been to them before, uh, but this is kind of where you know your your serious cases will then get uh, get discussed so we went to magistrates court i had a magistrate with me uh, i had a prosecutor for the cps and then there was the defendant who was the person on trial and he also had a defense barrister with him as well and i got up and gave my evidence i said you know who i was what i what i do for a living and what I was presented with and how I went about, say, recovering the evidence and the evidence that I did recover, uh, just describing that in a little bit more detail. Uh, one of the questions that the defence gave to me was um, why didn't I recover fingerprints within the car? And uh, this could be due to, say, the, the surface type, um, if someone's handled a seat and the seat's kind of cloth, then we can't really get fingerprints from fabric material. And that's just because of this sort of like, you're not, it's not really a completely flat surface. I'm, I'm sat here looking at my top now trying to describe it, but yeah, where it's not a completely flat surface and it's easy, easily adaptable, like it's not gonna stay completely still. Uh, yeah, it's it's not the best surface for fingerprints at all. Um, so, yeah, I had to kind of explain that and explain why I didn't get fingerprints within the car. But what I did get was those fingerprints um, on top of the car door where it had been pulled back. The defendant put together an argument, and I think his argument was something along the lines of he'd seen the car... He saw that it had been broken into, and he's quite nosy. You know, he, he he likes to roam around the area at night and just have a have a look at things. And he saw that the car had already been broken into. So what he did was he put his fingers on top of the door, um, just while he was having a look through the window, and that's why his both fingers were there. So he's, I think I, I'm kind of picturing it now. He's got his hands up on top of the door. And he's holding onto the door whilst peering through the window. His face is lower than his hands, which are up on top there. It's kind of like in a monkey pose where, <laughs> where you know, you see the monkeys gripping onto the tree at the top and they're just dangling from it. And it just, it sounded a little bit bizarre. I mean, good on him for trying, but the judge didn't buy it. And he was ordered to pay the victim all the costs that it took to repair the car. Um, all the court costs as well and uh, give the victim uh, sort of a I can't remember what it's called there's a special name for it but kind of like a disturbance type 
fine that you know you, you've gone through I've put you through all this so here's like a goodwill gesture type <laughs> thing so it was never going to result in a prison sentence or anything like that for for this kind of crime but it resulted in him having to pay back the victim and she was able to get a bit of closure from it and what was really nice was her and her mum were waiting outside the court um, as I came out and they just stopped me and they th and they thanked me and you know as as a young sort of like 20 year old who had recently got into this role uh that was massive for me it was just like a wow this is this is what i need to do if i can get this kind of satisfaction from a job like this where no one has been injured um the the damage is sort of minimal it's you know it 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 was a kind of massive kind of like eye opener type moment thing for me and yeah and i've been on to say progress to to other cases now and uh i still get that sense of of achievement say like 12 years later which which is fantastic so that was a really really good case like i said um and yeah it also put into perspective that whatever job you go to there's always someone there that will be grateful uh, for what you've done no matter the severity of it um so yeah it just kind of made me kind of focus on whatever I'm at I need to do the best job I can possible because yeah whatever job it is someone is gonna hopefully be appreciative of what I've done this is going to be the part of the podcast where I would answer any questions that you've got so at the moment I don't have any questions from you because I maybe I've been a bit lazy I haven't gone out on Twitter and asked you any questions um, if you do have any questions like I said hit us up at at CSI Chris G G double that that surname is and uh, let me know any questions that you've got and I'll be sure to answer them uh, one question that I'm always asked is, do you need a degree to do this role? And the short answer is no, no you don't, but what we would ask for is a degree or relevant experience. So that could be, say, experience in a non-police environment, like a laboratory, uh, or it could be like, I think I was chatting to someone in banking, um, with all those transferable skills as well I think as long as you can demonstrate that your skills would be easily transferable then that's fine um, a degree is going to be beneficial and it doesn't have to be a forensic science degree I mean if you've got a degree in English then that would be great because you're doing loads of statement writing you've obviously got to present your statements in a certain way so certain degrees like that would be great it like I said, it doesn't have to be a forensic science or a science-related um, subject. But if it is, I mean, that would be beneficial too. Um, we get a lot of people that, say, join the police and then move about in the police. And people that already work in the police, they're quite desirable as well because we don't have to, say, teach them how to use certain systems. They're very familiar with our, with our procedures, our policies, our code of ethics. And... Yeah, that's uh, that's a great way into the role as well. Uh, if you are going for an interview, 
and you're unsure on whether your skills will, will meet the criteria or even if you're just a, a putting together an application form then there's always someone to contact on the on the advert so if you're not sure then you can always contact them and, and see if they'll be desirable sorry your skills will be desirable but I think the person on the other end of that phone will probably tell you to just do it anyway because they wouldn't like to be the kind of person to to ruin your hopes and dreams if actually you you might be you might be good for the role even if you don't have that relevant experience so yeah I'd say if you've got any questions regarding that just give me give me a shout on Twitter and I'd be happy to give you any guidance at all but yeah if you've got any questions as well let me know and I'll be sure to answer them in future podcasts and that's it that's me signing off for today I hope you really really enjoyed this podcast thank you so so much for for tuning in and for your patience for me not putting together one uh recently at all yeah I I won't hit you with the excuses again you've already heard my my feeble attempt at uh (laughs) gaining your forgiveness um but yeah I'm really happy to be back doing these and the biggest reason is because of for you guys that are listening to them, I really, really value your feedback. So if you've got any feedback that you want to give me, uh, both positive and negative, just make sure the negative is fairly delicate because I never know what day I'm having. <laughs> but I'm very, very happy to, to hear the feedback that you've got. So that would be fantastic. Thank you ever so much for listening and I hope to catch you soon. This is crime scene investigator Chris G signing off. Thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to subscribe and follow my social media at CSI Chris G. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll see you at the next crime scene.